Welcome to another episode of the Finance and Property Survival Guide. My name is Damien. I'm a 24-year-old from Newcastle, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the most important things that I needed going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases and investing were never talked about or explained in any great detail. I want the survival guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week, I'll endeavor to speak to and learn from some of those in the industry to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. This is another installment of Finance and Property with Money Saver Home Loans. Uh, I spoke to David from the company today. We spoke about uh, the super industry talking about investing in property and how they're against it. We talked about job security and what affects young people wanting to get into the market, as well as some, more, some other news that came through during the week. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I found it pretty informative and I hope you do too. So without further ado, here you go. The first piece of news we're going to talk about was um, just some statistics that were released during the week about stamp duty. Yep. Um, given there's going to be a change to stamp duty arrangements for the next year, um, in New South Wales. So stamp duty was introduced in 1986. It's charged at the same rate now as it is then, despite the median house price rising from 98,000 to a million dollars since that time. I just thought that was an interesting stat. And um, the real estate New South Wales CEO, Tim McKibben, um, spoke about the fact that the state government not reassessing the rate at which it charges stamp duty is not really the best decision they could be making right now. So I just wanted to get your take on sort of the changes to stamp duty they want to introduce. Yeah, so this relates to stamp duty on property purchases, which is a, a percentage that sort of works out somewhere between 3 and 4% of the property purchase price. So, you know, as the stats show, when it first came out, the median house price in Sydney was just under hundred grand. So your stamp duty might have been like 4000 Now it's over a million dollars, so your stamp duty could be forty, fifty thousand dollars um, $50,000. Stamp duty is a big revenue raiser for most state governments. Um, you know, it only applies to people buying property, so it doesn't apply to everybody. Raises a hell of a lot of money, so it's it's one of those easy things that just brings in money for them all mm. the time. Most people borrow it, um, so it's not sort of coming out of their pocket straight away. Uh, the proposal, as you mentioned, is to replace stamp duty with an annual tax. So. Um, you, know, you have the option of when, when you're buying a property of either paying stamp duty or um, paying an annual figure. So you get a choice to do that at the start when you, when you buy the property. Right. And that decision stays with the property. So if you buy a property, the proposal is if you buy a property and you make the decision to pay stamp duty or you make the decision to pay the annual tax, um, that decision to pay the annual tax stays with the house. So when you on sell it, the person who buys it um, gets that decision you've made. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. We haven't seen any detail on it, so it could actually lead to an increase in property prices because mm. if you don't have to borrow the money for the stamp duty, um, you know you might you might have been paying thirty grand stamp duty. If you now don't have to pay that, you only have to pay say fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for the annual tax. Um, will you just Will you reduce your budget or you go, well, I've got more money to spend yeah. Thus, yeah, and increase prices? So it's a bit hard to know without the detail, but yeah, that's what's planned in New South Wales. And I guess the difference too is if you're looking to, to live somewhere for two or three years, having the annual amount that you pay 
is going to be cheaper for you than paying stamp duty. So you might make that choice straight away. Yeah, because heard, you know it's an intermediate. Yeah, I've heard purchase. the figure bandied around is somewhere between twelve and fifteen years. If you're looking to hold the property for twelve to fifteen years or more, um, in the long run, it's cheaper to pay the stamp duty, um, allegedly. But um, from a cash flow point of view, it might be easier to take the annual tax because there's less money you have to stump up. Yeah. And if you if you're paying mortgage insurance, um, reducing the amount you have to borrow could reduce your mortgage insurance. So it's it's not an easy decision. Talk to your uh, broker uh, about it, and um, they can sort of let you know how the numbers how the numbers look. Okay. Um, talking about some of the changes to banking uh, deposit account rates. So the Commonwealth Bank has slashed its interest rates for several deposit accounts, um, and they were just talking about how this might affect people who are trying to save their money. So, like, obviously, <clears throat> a lot of banks um, will offer a deposit account and every time you leave that money and it's untouched for the month, they'll give you interest and add that add money to uh, your account. And I've, I've noticed it personally where over COVID, the amount of interest my money has generated is, like, nothing. I was about to swear, nothing at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting, like, 40 cents a month for not touching my, my whatever money I've got in there. So it's not exactly an ideal situation for most people trying to save. Um, so the net bank saver has a introductory rate where for the first five months, you'll get 0.4% interest on the savings you have. And then the ongoing rate after that point is 0.05%. So it's not really a lot. Is that sort of just because of the cash rate being changed by the RBA and all of the different economic stimulus that's helping borrow money, but it's not helping people who are trying to keep their money where it is. Like, why do you think they've lowered yeah, it so well, much? I think part of it is interest rates have dropped. So when the RBA drops interest rates, um, normally home loan rates go down um, and deposit rates go down. Right. Um, because, you know, they um, can't afford to... You know, money's cheaper, so they... Um, they can get money from other sources. Okay. So they just drop. They just drop interest rates. The interesting thing I find in all of this is that um, the banks don't seem to drop credit card rates. Credit card rates are still horrifically high. No one cares, yeah. which I find really weird. Um, I think a lot of the time, I suspect a lot of this stuff around mortgages and deposit rates is actually not planted by the banks, but I think they. They say the problems over there while they're skimming money over here off credit card rates. Yeah. Credit card rates um, are quite high, and no one seems to care. And a lot of the people who are financially challenged um, have high credit card debt or high personal loan debt, especially unsecured personal loan debt. You know, some of the rates are sixteen, seventeen percent, which is um, very high. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, a lot it's a lot when the banks are given depositors, you know, point one, point two, of a percent. Um, I think a lot of this stuff around low interest rates to um, people saving money is one of the reasons why the pro another reason why the property market's going well because you can buy an investment if you've got a million dollars in the bank earning 0.5 of a percent well you can go buy three rental properties in growth locations or two or three and earn five or six percent yield mm. which is a lot higher than sitting the money in the bank sure. and at the moment, you're not only getting the yield, you're getting capital growth as well in most places. So I think um, a lot of this stuff does flow through to other parts of the um, 
of the economy that you know, if, if you're a um, self-funded retiree with you know, a million dollars in the bank and you were living off the interest when it was 2 or 3% you're earning 20 or 30 grand that's not too bad mm. um, but when it's 0.5 and you're earning 5 grand it's not so good right um, next bit of news was talking about Australian home values so um, in February Australian home values across the capital city surged 2.1% higher um, it's the largest month-on-month change in national home value since August 2003. Um, a lot of the news this week is speaking about what's causing this. Um, and obviously a bit of it's that FOMO effect that you've spoken about that some of the other podcasts we listen to, they say the same thing, which is that lack of supply is driving what's... Pra- it's been shown here, it's the biggest lift in Australian prices in 17 and a half years mm. and like some of these towns and cities across the country their auction clearance rates are 90 like in the in the low 90 percent mm. range which yep. is quite crazy yeah um yeah so it remained at the the housing supply has remained at really low levels um terry Ryder, who's on the newest podcast we've just released was speaking on it with one of his seminars that even though we've got pretty high supply um, sorry, there is supply going. It's not keeping up with the amount of people trying yep. to buy. So there's there's uh, not enough chips. Yeah, is not enough chips. Too many seagulls. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you what would you say? Yeah, no, I, I just think that's why you know you often look at stats and go why is that happening? And I think it's pretty obvious at the moment why it's happening. There's lot there's a lot more buyers for the supply. Um, yeah, supply is increasing, but it's still at, at pretty low levels um, when you look at what we've had um, previously. And yeah, there's a lot more. There is a real fear of missing out in a lot of places. People, I think, paying silly money for property. Mm. I, I think um, it's a bit like being at a party where there's free alcohol at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people are going to wake up in one, two, three, six months' time, 12 months' time with a bit of a financial hangover. Because I think some of this stuff is really unsustainable. That's mm. just my view. There's plenty of people saying that you know we're going to have a property boom for 2021, 2022. But I think quite a lot of those people uh, do have a vested interest in people buying now. Because that's how they make their money. Um, I just think at the moment it's unsustainable. Mm. So that's just personal opinion. My advice to clients is if you don't need to buy at the moment, don't. Give it a couple of months. There's more supply coming on. Um, Kate Bacos, who has been on one of your podcasts, um, mentioned a while back about the number that the number of listings is increasing. We're starting to sort of see that, I think, yeah. in the numbers coming through from um, that it is starting to increase. And I think some people with with all the stuff that's finishing at the end of March, the um, the economy is basically going to be taken off life support, yeah. and. Um, which it's been on for a while, I just think the next couple of months are going to be very interesting. So my advice to all our clients is if you don't need to buy at the moment, probably just maybe keep your powder dry for a month or two and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, so Industry Super were in the news this week talking about the impact of um, a lot of people. We talked about it last week too. People taking some of their superannuation money when the government allowed people to take up to 20 grand of that the stats were quite high that there was, I think, more than 50% of people, it's around 55 to 60%, had used some or all of that 20 grand to get a deposit on a home. Um, so superannuation, the industry super were talking about 
um, they believe that that might have impacted the property prices going up as well. That might have been a factor that people easily were able to procure more of a deposit because of the fact they accessed their super money um, and sort of talking about the argument for allowing people to use super as a way of investing in property to buy their first home. Um, I just wanted to ask you about it. It's like, do you think the industry super funds and the super funds saying the government shouldn't let people use super to invest in property for them to live in, um, do you think that's just them trying to protect their bud a little bit? Because without people investing in super funds for them to then use it to, to invest themselves, they're sort of losing a bit of an income. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to say. Like, traditionally, like, people start work, put money aside for super, and it's been for retirement. And mm. if you set, off, set up a self-managed super fund, part of the thing is that you've got to get it it's set up by someone, like financial planner or someone who's qualified, and the purpose of the funds has to be to provide you income, income in retirement. Um, when the government announced that people could get 10 grand out of super before... One July and ten grand after a lot of people did do that. Some people put it in a housing deposit. Some people paid off debt. Some people paid off loans. Some people, you know, spent it on things food that, yeah, food and that sort of thing, surviving or other things. So I remember um, when you did the chat with Brendan Kelly, he mentioned the strong, um, what's the word for it, link between people in retirement who have a property and people that don't have a property so I think there's probably going to be a bit of a debate around the role super plays in helping people get into the property market coming mm. at least that's what I'd be doing if I was the property industry uh, the super industry has always been you know pretty protective of itself um, you know if money's taken out of super to put in a housing I imagine then there's less money that super funds have to invest in infrastructure projects, which is what they normally do. You know, they'll invest in, they might buy companies, they might buy um, toll roads, bridges, um, ports, all that sort of stuff that creates jobs and that sort of thing. So at the moment, yeah, a lot of people did take money out of super. Um, I don't think the government or any government will probably let them do that again. It was probably a once in a once in a lifetime thing. And it probably has spurred people on quite a bit i think at the moment a lot of the first home buyers were people that were probably going to travel and now they're not i think in january 2020 around a million people left the country to go traveling overseas and in january this year it was like nine and a half thousand so there's nearly a million people hanging around australia and some of them probably realize that it's cheaper to buy than it is to rent so I think there's quite a lot of a lot of things fueling it at the moment. It's almost like five or six storms are coming together to create a cyclone. Yeah, okay. but, um, that's a bit daunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to talk about the family guarantee stuff. So Bank West uh, released a study during the week that had some interesting stats around it. So um, they asked around sixteen hundred Generation Z Australians, so that's people between fourteen and twenty two years of age about their thoughts on the Australian dream, in air quotes, of owning a property. 71% answered that it was still something that interested them. Um, uh, but they've spoken about some factors that have challenged them financially in recent years, talking about the casualisation of labour, 
So the lack of there's the the lowering of the amount of full time jobs available, um, and the pandemic obviously has decreased their ability to save. Thirty eight percent said they discussed family members helping them with a deposit, and thirty six percent felt pressure over job security. Thirty five percent felt unsure about the property market in general, while another nineteen percent said they didn't understand money matters at all. Um, I wanted to talk to you mainly about the 38% that discussed family members helping them with a deposit and maybe a big thing that you've seen and a thing that's talked about a lot now is like the church, uh, the church, the bank of mum and dad yep. and uh, the benefits of helping, getting your parents involved in helping you get into the property market, if you could sort of expand on that yeah. more. Well, I think um, it'd be interesting to see what the stats are, but I think... Like when we bought our first house, my parents helped us because we didn't have enough deposit. So they helped us. So I think parents have been helping kids buy houses for years and years and years. So it's not not necessarily a new thing. I think the issue now is that house prices are a lot bigger. Sorry, house prices are a lot more expensive. So the commitment from the mum and dad to assist is normally a lot higher. So we do quite a lot of family guarantee loans where mum and dad or a sibling help um, either through cash or, and or security. Um, I actually think it's a good way of doing it mm. because the question for families is do they want their kids donating money to the bank's insurance policy through lenders mortgage insurance or would they prefer to um, assist the, the kids and avoid that? Um, you know, some, some of our clients have saved over 40 grand yeah. In mortgage insurance, so it's yeah, it's not really a new thing. I think what's going to end up happening, the generation we're in now, say my generation, is the first generation where um, you're sort of helping your kids, but you're also probably going to be supporting your parents. So I think, yeah, European countries have always done this. Um, when you know, when some someone needed to buy a house, everyone chipped in and got them a house. And I think that's what's going to be happening more and more. That if you've got, with property prices going the way they are at the moment, a lot of kids can't afford to get into the market. They can, they can, they've got the servicing to get in the market through their income, but they don't have the deposit. Mm. So they'll be looking for parental support. And if it said 30, 38% discussed family members helping them with a the deposit, I think it might be actually higher than that, just, yeah. from, just from my experience. But yeah. Using a guarantor gives you more options when you buy a property. Um, with, if you've got cash, you can put it into the property if you want, put it into the loan if you want. Um, just gives you more options. So it's not a bad thing. Um, the way we do it is we talk to um, the borrowers and find out if they've mentioned it to their parents. Most of them have. And if the parents are interested, we would then go have a separate chat with the parents to make sure they understand what it's all about, mm. what the risk is to them, and whether they are actually keen or not. Yeah. And if they if they are, that's good. We encourage them to get legal advice. And if they're not that keen or they sound a bit iffy on it, we get them to have a think about it and then come back to us, you know, a couple of days or a week later. Because yeah. in the end, they're putting their property security on the line as well. So. Okay. Um, last one we're going to cover before we go into the, the any bits that you wanted to add on to it, right? So, um, the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales acknowledged the government of New South Wales to in, um, 
do protection of tenants in rental arrears beyond March 27. Um, they were talking about some support plans they want to impl uh, implement to help tenants and landlords sort out how they're going to help each other if someone's unable to pay their rent um, after March 27 when the, um, the government stimulus sort of subsides. It's, it's interesting that um, we've talked about it in the past that a lot of landlords didn't, plan, didn't allow for tenants a lot of the time to lower their rent enabled in order to pay it off uh, and keep paying their rent. Instead, a lot of them just said, don't worry about paying your rent at all until this day and you owe six months worth of rent in one go, which is not the, the most ideal thing for tenants, but maybe the landlords want to make their money. Um, just speaking on this was that the, the Real Estate Institute said tenants who are seeking assistance range from people. They might want a small reduction of land, uh, in rent, which the landlord has absorbed, to those who have no means to pay the rent whatsoever, which leaves the landlord out of pocket. And just hoping that the Real Estate Institute saying, don't go all in favour of the tenants and helping them and leave the landlords out to dry, but don't only help the landlords and leave the tenants out to dry. And just, I, I think it's just going to be interesting over the next couple of months whether um, who's going to get the brunt of that, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so you know, one of the things that I'm not sure was clear with a lot of people was that um, the rent changes, it was a moratorium, it wasn't, hey, you can live in the house for free for six months. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're a tenant and you were, just say you're unemployed and you're on Job Seeker and Job Seeker Supplement and you also asked your landlord for a rent moratorium, well, you're probably double dipping and, yeah, you need to pay that money back. It's not, it's not a, it wasn't a loan. Mm. It wasn't a f um, forgiving rent. It was basically saying, look, yeah, we don't want people kicked out of the, kicked out of the rental properties. But at some stage, um, and you know, the unemployment hasn't got as high as we thought it would be, even though there's probably quite a lot of underemployment. Um, the number of people on um, payment pauses for their loans is not as big as it. You know, I think when the government announced all this stuff, it was all worst case. You know, if worst case, what would we want to make sure doesn't happen? And a lot of it hasn't happened. Mm. So yeah, will be interesting once the um once the moratorium finishes but i think if you're a if you're renting um you know at some stage the landlord's going to expect you to pay rent back yeah okay was there anything you wanted to cover before we finish this yeah probably just a couple of things we went i've been on a couple of webinars this week just listening into one from kate hill from advisable and one from rich harvey from property buyer and just a couple of things they've mentioned around uh the pent-up demand especially in melbourne coming out of the lockdown um, that we've seen. Um, Melbourne prices are going up pretty well, which is which is interesting. Not in all areas though. Um, they mentioned about the low level of listings and the sort of demand they're seeing for people for lifestyle properties, which is a sort of trend we've seen through COVID anyway. Um, Kate mentioned that nine out of 10 loans are back Nine out of 10 of the loans that had some sort of payment pause or reduction are now back on track. So it'd um, be interesting to see what happens to the other 10% when that finishes at the end of um, the end of March. Um, 
people might remember that in 2017 there was a bit of a property boom and then 2018 and 19 it sort of reduced a little bit. Mm -hmm. Rich Harvey was saying that um, we're basically getting back to those 2017 prices. So even though it seems like prices are um, rising at astronomical rates, we've sort of been there before. Um, there's a real fear of missing out, he mentioned, and advice was, you know, if you wait, you might miss out if prices keep going up. So, but, um, and auction clearance rates, as you mentioned, are just through the roof. I think over 90% in a lot of places. So auction, when there's a lot of auctions, it usually means that it's a seller's market, which means, you know, you might be going to auction and pay, overpaying. So um, just make sure you've got someone at the auction who can um, keep you to your plan. Okay, easy. Uh, if people wanted to find you or get in contact, how yep. would they do Money that? Money Saver Home Loans on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Just search Money Saver Home Loans and you'll find us. Uh, we're on the web if you want to have a look. Uh, we've got lots of great Google reviews. Recently, we've been helping existing clients um, get better rates from their current banks and mm -hmm. saving people one, two, three thousand bucks a year. So if your bank is not hasn't rung you up in the last couple of months and said, look, we really love you <laughs> and here's a drop in interest rate, give us a ring and we'll sort them out. Easy.